parshas Kisiso is tremendously significant in many ways. The first pasuk has its own level of significance before getting to the main event of the Yagim Amidos. And it begins with a instruction from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to Moshe. Here we have the aftermath of Chete Egel and the Luchos have been destroyed. And Moshe is told that he has to make his own set of luchos this time, that he has to make them himself. It's the language the Pasuk is, that you should make this set of luchos. And here Chazal have a comment, which is very striking, that you should make it, and not like the first set of luchos which HaKadosh Baruch Hu made. Why should Moshe make it? Because you should know what it feels like that uh, the cost that goes into the luchos, the expense, the effort that goes in, then you're so casually throwing them off the side of the mountain. And that's very surprising because here we have the tradition that what Moshe did was correct. The end of the Pasek Shibarta, Chazal had a comment, Shibarta, you were right that you broke the Lucho. So the idea that there's some kind of a criticism involved here is very surprising. And here the Bali Musr have a crucially important point that is very important for our mentality right now and for all the time. And that is that, yes, Moshe did what was necessary, he did what was correct, but that doesn't mean that that can't be balanced with appreciating the cost. There can still be a Rahmanis. There can still be a sensitivity for what the impact of a hard decision is. So yes, luchos had to be broken, and Moshe should also appreciate what the impact of that was. And that's actually in the language here, because it's not saying that Moshe was wrong. He's saying that he should understand what the cost was. So that's very consistent with this interpretation. That it's not actually a criticism, but rather you should understand the impacts. That's a very important result that Bali Moshe have, and that is relevant to many, many things, including the current Cheshbonos. But I uh, appreciate both sides of it, that the Rahmanis that one has to feel cannot be a impediment to making the hard decisions and to doing what has to be done. And doing what has to be done cannot be a reason to necessarily be absolved of the Rahmanis that one has to feel for the cost. So Moshe Feinstein has a commentary also that the need to have Moshe involved is perhaps reflective of the fact that what, wrong, what went wrong the first time was that the Jews got involved in Bazara because they weren't necessarily looking to be idolatrous, but they had a misunderstanding because they thought that they needed an intermediary in order to get to God. And that maybe was something that had to be addressed the same way that the second set of Luchos talk about Yitzhak Petraim as opposed to Bria Solom, something that was more relatable for them. So here too, they have uh, more involvement from Moshe rather than the first Luchos that Kadosh Baruch Hu himself made. The Ibn Ezra quotes from one of the Gaonim that the second set of Luchos was actually better from the first, although he himself disagrees. But the Nisiv explains that it's only the second set of Luchos that has the basis for Chiddush Lud And that's the reason why Moshe was told to write them himself. The Beis Alevi and his Drushes, the Drushes Chaz, writes that the first set had all of Tarsh and already written in it, and the second set is what was left for us to figure it out. And therefore, each one has a milo to it, whether it's that everything is laid out with no possibility for mistakes. That was the first set of luchos, but the second set of luchos is where all that ability for involvement in learning and for amelus and learning and for Pulpula Shal Torah actually takes place. And that's relevant also to what the Gemara tells us, Masechus Gedarim, 
notes that the Torah was actually given to Moshe specifically and to his descendants, but because of his Tobasayim, he gave it to everyone else, and that is his special trait here. So what does that refer to? So the Gemara suggests Pilpua, and Rashi understands that that means Lahavin Dabr Betoch Dabr, Tostas and the Rush refer to Kharifas. Uh, Sabdarach says that this is something that anyone could do even without Moshe deciding to pass this down, and he suggests that the idea that it's considered Torah was a special gift of Moshe. Arashi also notes here that Moshe became rich from the carvings of the Luchos, and the Chavitzel Sashara notes that this would have been. He's something that he would have been entitled to anyway because of his labor. The point being that he was actually commanded to take the carvings because Akash Baruch Hu wanted him to be rich because the Gemara says over there in the Darnum Dafam Ches that the Shechina specifically is able to descend upon those who are not focused on their needs because they are satisfied because they are rich. And the Azayim Torah comments that isn't it the case that he heard the Shechina before? And he explains that the whole mila of a person being rich for this purpose is that we want people to be able to take him seriously. And it was only after the Egel Azav and the impact that that had on the mentality of the Jews that people started to worry about that. The Sefer Masvila Eisen has a little bit of a similar but different approach in that point, says that they were already rich from before because of the Bizas Mitzrayim. And the saying the Torah's spin on that is that that didn't have that effect because that was because of the mitzvah, but the Egel Hazav had this kilkel effect on them, and now they needed to have this added element for Moshe so that they could relate to it, that they could respect him. The same for Oh Moshe, he writes that Moshe specifically becomes rich this way in order to convey that one can gain through the Torah itself, and that this is the psalas, that it's only worthwhile together with the Torah. So also in terms of the language here, Asher Hanyu al that's relevant to a machokas in general, as to whether the content on both luchos was the same or not, the Siv understands from here that it wasn't, and that's relevant to the point we noted before about whether the Torah Shalapeh was actually on the first set of luchos, the Basilevi, etc., and uh, the Alshuk understands that they were indeed the same. So, this language at the end of the Pasuk, as we noted before, Asher Shibarta, the Gemara and Sacha Shabbos, and that Pesayin Aleph, tells us that this was a compliment to Moshe for what he did, Asher Karsh Shibarta. And the Torah's Mima raises the question about how do we know that? It doesn't obviously contain complementary language. And he explains that it's not Derek Eretz that mentioned something that would have reflected badly on him. So, therefore, the fact that it's being mentioned somewhat gratuitously otherwise must mean that it was a compliment to him and something that Moshe is being credited for. And the Gemara Menachas and Afsadi Tessimi Beis has an expression here, which is sometimes evoked in other contexts, that sometimes we have to take steps like that in order to preserve the Torah. So the next passage says, So you will go up. So Benji commented that the ascent here is meant to be symbolic of tshuva, just like descent symbolizes sin. And a sinner is a victim in the sense that he's subject to gravity, he lets forces overcome him, while a baltshuva takes control and he imposes himself upon the forces of nature. He overcomes gravity, he overcomes gravity and that's what Alisa is meant to represent. The next passage tells us, 
וגם איש לא יראה בכל הר, נהצות מהבקר אל יראו אל מול אחרו. So here the Tanchum comments that no one should go up with you, ואין לך יפה בנצניאס. There isn't anything that's better than Sneas, and Chavel had this idea that the second set of Luchos was more successful than the first because of the Sneas in which they were given. The first set was given with all the fanfare, and the second one was given in this much more private environment, and that was the secret of their lasting power. brought from the students of Nechsam Sofer, that when Nechsam Sofer would do Achnas Hasei Torah, he would actually do it in a very quiet way because of this, even though, as Dr. Klosa Torah himself points out, that in Russian, Nechsam Sofer, he said the other way, that he says that the meaning is, that we all are familiar with, that one should do it publicly, but this idea is a very fascinating one, that perhaps the Tavkah should be done in a private way because of this notion that the second Luchos were more successful being given in a Tzandua environment. So following this, we have the very crucial part of our liturgy, the very, very significant Yudgyom Bilosarachim, which is such an important part of how we communicate through Tshuva and what we are commanded to do in times of Tzair, the Gemara Masechus Rishana, Adaf Yudzai, tells us that Karish Baruch who dressed up like a shliach tzibor and told Moshe what they should do when the Jews are in trouble, Yehosu Lufanai, that they should do like this, and Kaseder Hazos, and I will forgive. So what does that mean, that they should do like this? Reishachachma notes that it doesn't seem like we always get forgiven when we recite the Yom Yusarachim, and he explains that it doesn't mean simply to say, but yes, Lufanai means they have to actually do, they should imitate HaKadosh Baruch Hu's Midos. That's an idea that you find in the Shlach, and others, and this is a comment that many have, that is more than simply reciting the Gilmah Yusarachim, but it's about actually living the Gilmah Yusarachim. And that's a whole discussion whether all these concepts are consistent with that. So, for example, the Midah of Kel, is that something that human beings can do? That sounds like that's specific to what Parish Baruch the Torah has that language regarding Yaakov as well, so we find that that's something that refers to strength and energy, and that we should use that for chesed. The Russian his comments to Masechus Rosh Hashanah explains that all of these midos are midos of vitor, of being able to give up something. And Rutov Schwarzman in his Drushos, who printed a few years ago, he writes that this is in the sense of willingly giving up what you could have, like being magr amidosa, and that if one who is able to do that, to be Ma'abra Midosa, Makarish Baruch, who acts Mida Kinege Mida, and these Midos then have to result in being lifted higher. If one stumbled before, you can only succeed by aiming higher. And that's the notion here, and this idea of the language in the Pasuk of Vayavor, Vayikra, so Paul Hirsch writes that this is Akash Baruch's response to Moshe's request of Hareini and Hodiani. And the question now of the presentation of the Yagomidos and how exactly to count them. So Tosis and the Rush in their commentaries to Rosh Hashanah and Dapi Zayin and the Bays there write that the first two Hashams are actually the first two Midos, but Rivnissim don't understand that it's specifically second one that starts to count. The Meiri writes that Yeshomrim, that we should actually start counting from Kelrachim. And Tereyem and Maral actually agree with that. And then Behuda, in his Trushus, Abbasasiyon, in Trush Ballad, he explains it's because the Shem Hashem is actually not pronounced as a spell, so how are we going to be able to do that? So he said that's why these 
opinions don't count that as among the Midos. But the Gemara does Darshan, Hashem, Hashem, the Gemara there in Rosh Hashanah, that says, I am there, I am Hashem before the sin, I am Hashem after the sin. And the Rosh raises the question of why would we need Hashem to have Rahmanas before the sin? And one answer he gives is that even though God knows that we're going to sin, nonetheless, he treats us by share of He doesn't hold us responsible for what he knows will happen. Or that maybe this is a reference to a Vedazara where even Machshava is an issue. And Shkifter, his comments, of us, the Torah Tamima, writes that the Rachamim is that a Baruch who helps the person not to sin, not to carry out the intentions that he has. Shkifter's Lebroid, his son Darach, notes that the idea of Hashem being there after the sin is that that means that one each one increases the exposure of this Mida in that world in this world. And that could also be what we mean when we say that Shuva Meava actually creates the Zuchuyas, makes a person even better than he was before. So this increases the various Midos of the Rachamim through this exposure. And Shamshin uh, and Hirsch comments about this idea of before and after that God displays the concept of unity within diversity, the fact that he's always the same. Notes that the power of tshuva is that Hashem is just as present afterwards as he was before, that he's able to transcend time and causality. So to go further, so the next word is kale, like we noted before. So if Shersh explains this to mean the original source of all energy and power. Rachel, where first explains that this is like the Rachel of a mother, that once he grants life, he sustains it. Chanun, the first explains, means that he replenishes that power. Erechapayim, the first writes, that means he waits patiently for the fruit of moral perfection. And Rav Chesed, Rav Chesed, the first explains, means he bestows blessings to fulfill every aspiration and to fulfill every good intention. Uh, what about Emes? First writes that means to be faithful to the original goals. That is not going to even provide kindness if that's going to undermine the goals. Rufutner in his Pachet Yitzchak to Rosh Hashanah in Maimir Tezvav has a lot to say about this. He writes that Emes means to be faithful to the source. So Akash Baruch Hu Hashem is the original Emes. And on every act, if we ask for Emes, and on Rosh Hashanah we add the Adel Kim Emes. We want to go back to the source as is Rosh Hashanah. So here we say Hashem Hashem. Hashem keeps his promise to Avram with the Sias Mitzrayim. But we need another level for forgiving the ego. So all the other Midos, we understand how they're relevant. So they're attributes of Chesed and forgiveness. So what about Emes? So Emes here is constancy. So there won't be any breaking of the second Luchos because the promise of Truva, this constant rooting. And that's why the Rambam, when he talks about the Simon of Shuba, he talks about how the Adaya Talumas, the one who knows all the secrets, knows that the individual who has done Shuba is going to stay consistent. Rashi, in his comments over there to the Gemara Rosh Hashanah, Dafi Zayim, writes that regarding the Midah of Emes, we saw that Akash Baruch Hu, when he created the world, saw that it wouldn't last with Emes, so he joined with Chesed, and that's why we have Rav Chesed. Rav Pam, as quoted in Sefer Torah Lamalach, writes that I think it should be the other way around. Then you should have Chesed first. The point is that Shem allows opportunities for Chesed so that we should be Zohar B'din. So now commenting on the next passage, notes of Chesed, Alafim, which notes, 
that he gives the blessings to the worthy, but it's not restricted to them because it overflows to so many others, so that's the thousands. And that was most significant to Moshe because it shows that we need humility in judging Hashem's ways because who knows the future? Those over in the first comments means that lifts the burden of sin off of the penitent. Now these words, Pesha means rebellion, and Chatal, that means Shogeg, carelessness. So in terms of the order, the Gemara Masech Zuma and Daflam Rebav Rebez tells us that he forgives the first two as if it was the third. And others on the third, the third is the least serious, but it happens the most. And the first also comments that Hashab lifts all of these things out of the normal laws of cause and effect. And Shalavetchik understood that this was another reference here to the idea of truth of and the notion that we're able to be greater than we are, we were before through the power of Chuba. And the notion of Poke Avon Avos Albanin. So Bachia asked the question that that doesn't seem to be fair, that the children should pay the price for the parents. So the Gemara says that it's only if they follow the paths of the parents. And Rebbein Bachia notes that it talks about four generations, because sometimes people are alive to see a fourth generation. So someone who sees parents and grandparents and great-grandparents sending in still does the same thing. Then it makes sense. He should pay the price for following in that path. So now we continue past the Yigimomidos with so here, so Moshe goes and he bows down, and Rikki Yosef comments, which he does in his commentary to Rechaim and Kofor Aleph, that he quotes from Marik that during Yigimomidos, you see that you should bow down a little bit, that even though the Gemara Brachas and Dapi Beis tells us that so here you see this is the exception, you should bow down a little bit, and the Gemara Masachas and Kufir Aleph and Aleph talks about what would make one bow from here, so the Rabbanon understands the Midas Ha'abes and and the third to me explains the difference here that the Machlokas is about why is it that he bowed? It's either a Hodah because of the Kharish Baruch's patience, or it's Tvila because of the Amis. So now, commenting on the next Pasuk, Yilachna Hashem Bekribeinu, Kiabkshu Arafu. So Shwab, this is the question, what does this have to do with anything? Because earlier, after a Pokir of an Ovos, it says, Osarai. So Moshe quickly interrupts, so we shouldn't say that, but rather we should understand that they're not bad, just they're stubborn. But how could Moshe interrupt? That seems like tremendously chutzpidic. So explains that the whole point of this Yerita, of God coming down, was that Moshe should understand, that man in general should understand Hashem, so he should be able to ask. So then that's understood to be the invitation. Uh, the Moshe of Zikainim and the Chizkuni, they comment that he interrupted so that Hashem wouldn't have another generation. The and the Benazra, they argue that if he did that, he would be chayvisa for interfering in such a way. And the Osir Plaus Torah comments that this is yet another example of Moshe Romano's mysterious nefesh for the Jews. And Shamshon Hirsch notes that the obstinacy of the Jews make them most suitable for the revelation of the Torah. So Hashem should go among them and teach them directly and continue to forgive them. And each step brings them closer to perfection.
and perfect education. And the Rishalvechik commented, perhaps in a similar fashion, that this is the nature of the Jews, that they are slow to learn, but once they do, it sticks. Because their stubbornness, they are able to stay with it. And this is both the challenge of the Jewish people, but as well, they are continually blessed because of it.